Hi, and welcome to the Pine Ridge House Sermon Podcast. We are a church located in Calgary, Alberta, where the Bible is our standard for all faith and practice. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Stu, I'll ask you if you'll just come up here. So um, for those of you who don't know Stuart uh, Barcelo, he is um, uh, wow, longtime friend of, of mine and uh, was a part of our church before we did our first church plant. And so that would have been 12 years ago or so? 2010. 2010. Yeah. So, okay, 13 years ago. So uh, Stuart became a Christian, um, gave his life to the Lord through Andrew, um, led him to the Lord. And uh, right off the bat, uh, he grew so fast, I, I, we could hardly keep up with him. And his knowledge and understanding of the word uh, was really unparalleled in terms of his growth. Um, he began to uh, be a, a mainstay in our church then, and then uh, went off to plant the church uh, in Okotoks with Andrew, and has been uh, on really part-time staff, I guess, now for what, three years? Has it been three years now? Yeah, something like yeah, that. Something like that. And uh, he, he's a good handler of the Word of God. And um, as I've told you before, I don't, I don't give up this pulpit um, lightly. And I don't mean that in an arrogant or proud way, but I believe that there's a seriousness to expanding on the Word of God. And Stuart does a great job of that. So I want you to welcome him with me. Thanks. First uh, Samuel 15. We're going to do a lengthy bit of reading here, but that's okay. It's God's Word. So, Verse 1. <clears throat> Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has, and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Then Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telem, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the valley. And Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the sons of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the, re- and the best of the sheep and the ox and the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I have made, you, made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Saul said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Then Saul said, They have brought them from the Malachites, for the people spared the best of the sheep, oxen, to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. He said to him, Speak. Samuel said, Is it not true 
Though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel. And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord, and I went on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And I brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, and sheep and oxen, the choices of things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is the iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this um, time in history that you've recorded for us. I just pray your spirit goes before me today and just helps open our hearts to your truth and uh, just use me as a vessel um, to relay all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. <clears throat> All right, well, now we got some blood in our legs. That's good. <clears throat> so just before we get into our, our passage today, I just want to remind everybody kind of the history on our characters and our story. So we're going to kind of just do a quick review on who Samuel is and, and who is Saul. So in the, in the first chapter of Samuel, we see there's a woman, and her name is Hannah. Now, Hannah is actually the mother of Samuel, and she is the one of two wives, and uh, the other wife has been bearing children, and Hannah has not been, and she is heartbroken and devastated by this. She goes to the temple to pray about this, and she makes a vow to God, saying that if God gives her a child, she will dedicate this child to him forever. So she goes back home, and sure enough, God um, hears her and gives her a child. So Samuel is born from Hannah, and Hannah takes her back, or takes him back to the temple and dedicates Samuel there for the rest of his life. And there he's under a man named Eli, as, uh, as Eli ministers to him on how to be with the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, we see actually there that Samuel is actually confirmed as a prophet of God. So that is a title that he holds in his position. Going forward a little bit, in 1 Samuel 7, it says there that Samuel actually judged Israel all the days of his life. So we see Samuel there as a prophet of God and a judge over Israel all of his days. So Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 8, we actually see Israel, up to this point, has never had a king. And Saul was their first king. Israel, wanting to be like the other nations around them, decide that they, they approach God through Samuel because they want a king. They actually demand a king to God to be like the other nations. In chapter 8, God warns them heavily on what will happen when an a earthly king will be amongst them and the difference between that and him. But despite all these warnings, 
Israel still desires this king. So God gives Israel what they want. God anoints Saul king in chapter 10. And Saul is publicly chosen as king of Israel. In chapter 13, it says there that Saul reigned 32 years as the king. And in chapter 14, it actually tells us that Saul fought against all of Israel's enemies. And wherever he turned, he was inflicting punishment. So there was not peace at all when King Saul reigned. So in, in a nutshell, we have Samuel, who's a prophet and a judge over Israel, and Saul, the first king of Israel, now in his reign. So we pick up our passage now in chapter 15. So because our, chap- our passage today is so lengthy, I actually have split it into sections. So we've put it into five sections. God's commission... King Saul's response, Samuel's rebuke, Saul's delusion, and then God's heart. So we pick up God's commission to Saul in verses 1 to 3. Then Saul, Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, host of hosts, I will punish Amalek, for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him in the way while he was coming from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has, and do not spare him, but put to death both man, women, child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. So three things I don't want you to miss out of this section. Number one, God is very clear on his instructions to Saul. There is no chance for anything to be misunderstood or left to interpretation, or any way that Saul could ever go back and say, God, well, you just didn't give me enough information. That's why I didn't do this. He says, go and utterly destroy them. Every single person, thing, everything's wiped out. Second thing, God was actually demanding an extinction of the Amalekite people. They will be no longer left on the planet. They will be completely wiped out. The third thing I don't want you to miss is that God was basing this attack actually on the history between the Amalekite people and Israel. And we actually can see this event happening. You can put this in your cross-references, but back in Exodus 17, when Moses fought the, the war in the wilderness where he lifted up his hands and he had to have... Joshua and and put stones under his arms in that battle, that battle was the Amalekites and Israel. And interesting enough, in Deuteronomy 25, I'll read this to you. It's the same account of that incident, but God actually makes a vow or a promise. So Deuteronomy twenty-five seventeen, it says there, Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out from Egypt, how he met you along the way and attacked, and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord God gives you as an inheritance to possess that you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven, you must not forget. So to the people in, that, in the wilderness, he says, 
don't worry, I will take care of the Amalekite people. That what they've done to do today will not be forgotten. <clears throat> so we can also see a few descriptions of the Amalekite people in our passage in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. We can see those in verse 18. Samuel actually describes them as sinners. So he says, The Lord sent you on a mission to go and utterly destroy the sinners. And also, if you move forward, we didn't read this yet, but all the way in verse 33, King Agag is actually described as a child killer. So Samuel goes to execute him, and it says, Samuel said, As your sword has made many has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among men. And Samuel hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord Gilgal. So God wasn't randomly just choosing these people to wipe out. There was a strong there was a strong history with the Malachi people and a reputation they had of being very wicked. God was actually using King Saul to actually take through a promise that he made long ago. So how did King Saul then respond to this commission from God? And we see that in verses 4 to 9. Then Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Talim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And he came to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the valley. <clears throat> So fast forward to verse 7. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as you go to Shur, which is in the east of Egypt, and he captured Agag, the king of Amalekites, alive, utterly destroying all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. So Saul's immediate response to God's commission would actually be one that we would expect from a king anointed by God. He gathered a big army and went to ambush the city that he was told to. Saul goes to war, just like God asks, and he, but he executed his victory on his own terms, right? says he defeated him, but he spared Agag, and on all the, the people spared the best of the sheep, oxen, fatlings, and lambs, and all that was good. So Saul failed in his mission, to fully exterminate the Amalekites, along with the animals and all that belonged with them. So what does God think about now with the job that Saul did? Verse 10 and 11 says, The word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned his back from following me, and he has not carried out my commands. And Saul was distressed and, and cried out to the Lord all night. So Saul's execution of this victory, God actually feels regret that he's made Saul king. And he actually sees the act in which he did as Saul actually turning his back on God. So as God's speaking through Samuel, Samuel is distressed all night. He wakes up the next morning to go and now and confront Saul and all that Saul has done. And we pick that up in verse uh, 12 to 21. 
Verse 13 says, Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you, Lord. I have carried out the commands of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And, Sam, and Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. Samuel said, Wait, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Samuel said, Is it not true that, that you, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the, the head of the tribe of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. The Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, fight against them and, until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, rushed upon the spoil, that what, and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord, and I went on the mission which the Lord sent me, and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalekite, and utterly destroyed all the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen. So a few observations I don't want you to miss out of that section is in verse 14, when Samuel approaches Saul, he actually, Samuel uses the external evidence of Saul's disobedience to call him out, right? He says, what is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And the interesting thing about that is, just like there's evidence when people are walking God's ways, there's also evidence when people are not. And Samuel used that evidence to approach King Saul. Second thing I don't want you to miss, Samuel, in verse 17, actually reminds Saul of where he came from and how he actually reached his position of power. Is it not true that though you were little in your own eyes, you were made head of the tribes of Israel? If you actually go back also and read part of the story of Saul, when he was publicly named king amongst the nation, uh, he actually was hiding. He was a, kind of being a coward and hiding, and they actually had to go find him and then raise his arms up and say, hey, this is our king, after he was hiding. So even, even his own thoughts of himself were very little, but yet, king, or, but yet God used him and anointed him as king over Israel. Third thing I don't want you to miss is that not doing what God commanded in the way that he commanded it was actually considered evil in the sight of the Lord. We pick that up in verse 19. He says, when, Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? So, amongst Samuel's rebuke of Saul, I want to focus in on a couple of Saul's responses to Samuel in what I would call Saul's delusion. It shows his delusion of the whole situation. Some observations I don't want you to miss from his response in there. That Saul actually believes that he actually carried out the full command of the Lord. We see that in verses 13 and 20. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have carried out the command of the Lord. And in verse 20, he says to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord, and I went on the mission on which the Lord sent. 
Notice even in the verse 13 how he states, I, I carried out the command of the Lord. He even says it in, this, in a singular way, as if there was only even one command. And what's interesting, it almost even kind of sounds a little bit like the garden in a way. How when the serpent came and just slightly changed what God asked. It sounds very similar. And then when Saul was actually confronted by Samuel about the animals, he did two things. Number one, he didn't take responsibility and actually blamed the people for taking the animals. We see that in verse 15 and 21. 15, he says, The people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord. And 21, he says, But the people took some of the spoiled sheep and oxen. What's even interesting in verse 20, he actually, he says, I'm the one that obeyed, but the people are actually are the ones that disobeyed. He says, I obeyed the voice, but the people took some of the animals. So he's not taking any responsibility and actually putting it all on the people. The second observation from when Saul was confronted about the animals, he actually masked his disobedience by giving it a godly purpose. And we see that in verse 15. He says, For the people spared the best sheep in auction to sacrifice to the Lord your God. So Samuel's confronting him and being like, What is this that I hear? How is this happening? And Saul's like, Just relax, relax. It's okay. They took the best oxen. They're going to sacrifice it. It will be fine. God's going to love that they are going to sacrifice these, the best sheep in the best oxen. So he masked his disobedience by giving it a godly purpose. Again, his version of justifying what he did in his victory, in his way. So Saul is a justifier, a blame shifter, and all in all, he's just not taking responsibility for obeying God's commands or disobeying God's commands at all. Saul is not the not a very good representation of a king or a leader. And to further that, it actually says in verse 24, stop just, I stopped just before this section, it says there that Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. So again, we get some insight into Saul's heart. He actually feared the people even more than he feared God. Hence why he fought, let them do as they wished, but tried to cover it up, again, by masking his disobedience in a godly purpose. So Samuel's confronted Saul about his sin. Saul's given his justification. And now Samuel is about to come back with his final words in this whole situation. And we pick these up in verses 22 and 23. <clears throat> Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in, off- in, in burnt offerings as, and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For the rebellion is the sin of divination, and insubordination is iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, 
he has rejected you from being king. Samuel here is speaking the heart of God to Saul, exposing something different than what Saul's been approaching. To obey is better than sacrifice. And when I first read this, it almost seemed like a little bit of a contradiction, almost this dichotomy, because on one hand, God asks them to make sacrifices. And in by doing those sacrifices, he, they would be actually obeying him. So if that's true, and doing the sacrifices is obeying, what does he actually mean when he's saying obeying is better than sacrifice? What's the difference? Let's define sacrifice and obedience. First, we'll start with sacrifice. Now, among sacrifices, I will also lump in things like ceremonies and rituals. So ceremonies, rituals, and sacrifices, they were never meant to gain approval, earn any rights, or change your position with God. This is the exact way that King Saul is approaching the sacrifices. He's saying, I didn't listen to the voice, but that's okay because I'm going to make the sacrifices that I know God likes and that he'll just overlook the fact that I did that and, and I'll be good. But as you've already seen my PowerPoint switch, so lucky you, God actually takes no pleasure in any of the sacrifices that are made. Psalm 51:16, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it, and you are not pleased with burnt offerings. So, if God takes no pleasure in sacrifices, and they're not there to change our position or gain favor with him or make us right, then why does God even ask us or any of them to even make sacrifices? Well, ceremonies, rituals, and sacrifices are to be reminders and symbols of what God has done, who God is, and shape the heart God wants for us through them. I'll repeat that. Sacrifices are to be reminders, symbols of what God has done, who God is, and shape the heart of you the way that God wants. And I'll use Hebrews chapter 3 or 10 to show this. He's talking about the sacrificial system. And he says here, but in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So this is speaking to exactly what we're talking about. The physical act of doing the sacrifice actually has no con contribution at all. It's literally a reminder of sins. So I picture the, the animal sacrifice so you take, you know, your favorite goat, Billy, to the, to the sacrifice, right? Here's the thing. Whether you're watching it or doing it yourself, you, you take slit the throat of the goat. So it's remembering, like, put yourself in that, in, in that position. Uh, the goat's not just going to do nothing. He's not going to be silent. He's going to be screaming out. There's going to be blood spurting everywhere. And the reason why I say this is, this is the picture of sin. So 
as you're taking the animal and cutting the throat, what God is saying is, that should be you. That should be you. But this is a reminder of what sin costs when you do this. That's what the sacrificial system was meant for. It was meant to shape their hearts around sin, not pay for the sin by doing the acts. So as they approach, they are supposed to be changing inwardly by witnessing what is happening to them. A more contemporary version of this is exactly what we did today. It is perfect we did communion. Because just like Dan said, it is a reminder. But again, looking at it from the perspective of how is God, how is God through this ritual that we are doing, how is God actually revealing his heart to you? And how is by doing this shaping your heart? So by reminding ourselves of why we put Jesus on the cross, that also tells us that we need to have a humble heart. We need to be dependent upon the Lord. And we need to be accountable. These are just small things that now you can see now as we do these things. It's not about these actions and these, these rituals in communion. It's not about just checking off the box, just coming clean before God. It's actually, look deeper. Look actually, what is the heart in which he, as you participate in these things, who does he want you to become through doing these things? So it's no longer just checking it off and being clean. It's about the next time shaping who you are. So you can see how God uses these sacrifices for bigger than just, it's, it is a reminder, but it's a reminder of a deeper thing, of who he is, what he's done, and what he wants you to be. So that's sacrifice. So what's obedience? <clears throat> the act of obedience has more meaning than just listening and completing a task, or just checking off a box of this big do's and don'ts list that God gives you. In John chapter 14, Jesus actually speaks to the power of obedience. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. See, obedience is more than just following. Obedience is actually our expression of love to God. It's how he knows that we love him. You see, although God can know our thoughts and know our hearts, he doesn't put the onus on how we feel. He doesn't say, don't worry, I'll just look at your heart and I know that you love me. Or I'll look in your mind and you have this intellectual belief system and I can see that you, that you love me. I can see that. No, he actually says, walk in what I ask and the walking and action of that tells me that you love me. Despite how you feel, despite what you think, the physical walking out tells God that you love him. Also, when you obey God's commands, you align yourself up with his kingdom. All the values, the morals, everything. You're saying to God, I believe what you believe. I'm standing for what you stand for. And see, this was one of the things that King Saul 
did not do well. God asked Saul to be an instrument for him to execute justice for his people. And by, if he was to obey it, he would have said, God, I'm, an, I'm in line with your justice, and I'm in line with you, and I'm lining up all my values and everything with you. And so by disobeying it, he's saying, God, I don't line up with you. I'm going to actually do it my way. And that's the power of being obedient. It's not your kingdom or Saul's kingdom. It's about God's kingdom. And you can see now where King Saul had this all confused. But worrying about his fear of the people and how... He, was, he wanted to be the best king he could be, but in the way that the people wanted, not the way that God wanted him to be king. So to summarize, we have sacrifices are symbols and remembrance of who God is, what he's done for you, and how he wants to shape your heart. And obedience is love expression to God, and the relationship, the heaviness of the relationship on there. Even this morning when I was preparing for this, I was reminded even God's, just to speak to the relationship focus that God is, how relational he is. In verse 10, you know, if you think as a parent, you give instructions to your child and he just completely doesn't do it the way you've asked, uh, typically, your first response is frustration. It might be anger. Lots of different things. But it's interesting. God, God chooses essentially two relational ways to f- essentially communicate or express how he feels. In verse 11, he says, I regret that I made Saul king. And he says, he's turned his back from following me. These are very relational experiences. These are things that you could only experience being in a relationship with someone and having someone physically turn their back to you and experience what that is. God is very relational, and the relationship comes first, hence why this obedience is better than sacrifice. To end, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 51. And we're going to finish with this. So we're going to start. We're going to do verses 16 and 17. Now, 16 was already up on my PowerPoint, but it'll be okay because we're going to roll through it and we're going to see what he says after. So 16 says, For you did not delight in the sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Our number one sacrifice to God is our heart. That's what he wants. He doesn't care about whether you do communion, or he, I don't want to say don't care, but it's in priority to your heart. He wants your heart. He wants 
He wants you to think like him, be like him, reflect him. It's not just about checking off the box and just saying, I, I'm glad I did this. I feel right with God now. That's better. Look deeper. Look at the heart that he wants. The sacrifice he wants is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, and he will not despise that. So I have two lessons and an application question for today. The first lesson is obedience to God's commands is how we show God that we love him. Again, it's one thing to say it. It's one thing to even think it. But it's actually doing it. And sometimes you might even ask yourself, well, in this situation, I don't even know what God's command is. And that's okay. That, that's a good question to then start and seek, seek him in that area. The second lesson God takes no pleasure in the ceremonies, rituals, and sacrifices, or anything we do to try to gain favor with him. Instead, he wants us to sacrifice our hearts, revealing his character through us. Remember, using these types of rituals and things that we do as a means to see God's heart in those things, see him living in those things, and how he wants you to change your heart while you're doing those things. Not that there's power within taking the bread or within drinking the cup. It's what it means to participate in that and then how participating in that changes you as you leave. And I want to give you a contemporary question that that we can relate to. Um, So how many of us today or in the past have made more effort to make it to church on Sunday than to deal with the sins in your lives. Right? Coming to church on Sunday is a priority for a lot of people, and that's a good thing. But how many times have we come and we've had things in our family like marriage, kids, maybe some people we know that we're just putting on the back burner because we got to go and check off this thing. We got to check this box off here. We got to show up to church on time. We got to do this. How many times have we left our kids just allowed them to be completely disobedient to us because if we di- if we happen to discipline that and take care of that and show the loving act to the child, we're going to be late. See, by doing that, you're putting church, the sacrifice above obedience. The heart. I'll share a story one time, not to praise the acts because we were so young in our faith that you just see how God speaks through us. But back when church was at Pine Ridge, or sorry, in the house of, of Dan and Jody, uh, me and Laura would drive from Okotoks, and uh, we were dating at the time. We weren't we weren't married or even engaged. But I remember, I don't even know what it was about, but we were very hot, like not doing good with each other. And, uh, but what was really great was we actually parked by that school, that's by your guys' house, and we actually missed 
like 90% of church. Like we missed the, like all the preaching and everything, but we went after because we, we literally sat and we dealt with whatever was going on. And for whatever reason, at that time, that was more important to us than actually even going and then pretending that we were okay. Right? And that's just a, an example of just speaking to the priority of sacrifice versus obedience, of knowing the heart that God wants you to have when you come to church so that you can share that heart with everyone in the community and they share that with you. We fill each other, but you got to come with that heart and see why we come, why we have church. Don't just come for the sake of coming and leave all of the other disobedience behind. Know what God's heart has for you and the heart he wants for you and through you. Thank you for listening to this sermon. For more information on our church or this recording, please contact us at www.pineridgehouse.com.